Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. It's time for a new book to study, and for those of you whose churches are part of our three-year lectionary reading system, we are doing the Gospel of Mark this year. So for our Gospel that we'll look through, we're going to look through Mark together and start today with Mark chapter 1. <laughs> My study on this chapter, if it doesn't calm down, this is telling me this is going to be like drinking from a fire hose for the next couple of weeks. This this is quick, uh, very fast-paced, moves very, uh, bounces around topic to topic pretty quickly and many times in one chapter. So Mark is one of three of what we call the synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning same, uh, pointing to the idea that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's so much that those three gospels have in common. And John, which is written a couple of decades later, John was able to end up taking a different path with how he ends up writing and what he focuses on. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, probably written in the 50s AD, so within a couple of decades after Christ's resurrection, and John doesn't write his until maybe 90 to 95 AD. And again, that means that the church had had the Gospels circulating among them for 40 years, roughly, give or take. Uh, So John, again, able to take a different focus. Two of the disciples, two of the gospel authors are disciples, Matthew and John. So Mark and Luke are not. Mark is a traveling companion of the apostle Paul uh, and Barnabas. They end up having a fight over him because Mark left midway through one of the first missionary journey of Paul. And, And they're fighting and squabbling over whether they should take Mark on the next journey. They end up splitting up. They're that divided over Mark. So Paul does not want Mark to go and goes his own way. Barnabas and Mark travel together. Um, It is good to say and note that Paul and Mark are at some point reconciled to the point where Paul will close one of his letters by mentioning how helpful Mark is to him. Now, as we dig into our actual text for the day, Again, it covers quite a lot of ground. I'll just dig in. Here we go. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. 
the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went out throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing, what Mo- offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Like I said, lots here, lots here. So let's dig in. Uh, Verse 1, Mark introduces the gospel by calling Jesus Christ the Son of God. That is a title that throughout the course of the entire book, only one man gets to say. And it is the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross who gets to speak those words, which is part of why... Uh, the church in many parts of our, our tradition have believed that Mark is writing this gospel account primarily to send to Rome, that people may hear it and believe. Um, 
not that it's not going to be read elsewhere as well, but that's that's who we think his intended original audience may have been. We get the prophecy from Isaiah uh, that, that there would be a prophet who would bring people to repent, who would make them ready to see the Christ. And then Mark points out to us that this is referring to John the Baptist. Uh, the other gospel authors also make this move. Um, so John appears. And just take note of this. So verse 4, John's baptism. Verse 12, uh, well, 13, the temptations of Satan. Verse 14, the arrest of John. We have all these major events, and they get covered in such brevity. There, there's so little amount actually given to each of these things. Mark is writing an action-packed, intense gospel that moves from one thing to the next, and it does so very quickly and smoothly and and just keeps you moving, keeps you reading and wanting to read the next thing and wanting to know what happens next um, and not bogging down in a lot of detail where the other gospel writers will. So I mentioned before, Matthew, Mark, and Luke share so much in common, but Mark's gospel in length is probably about 65% of what those other two are. It's, it's significantly shorter and again, that, that lends itself to perhaps a different kind of audience. It's one of the reasons a lot of people today like to use Mark as they try and share the gospel with people for the first time because of its compactness in a busy culture. Um, just, you know, word to think about. So John's baptism comes with a lot of humility. Um, a lot of people coming out to see him, but he admits to them that he's not even worthy to untie the sandals of the Christ. That's a reference to uh, really dirty feet, dirt roads, open-toed shoes is all they had. So people's feet were filthy all the time. Uh, to clean someone else's feet was the work of a servant. And yet John is saying he's not even worthy to touch Jesus' sandal, let alone even clean his feet. Um, that's a humility statement right there. and It's a good one. Um, John's baptism was with water, but Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in baptism creates faith, which is a good thing. This is also possibly a reference forward to Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out on God's church and they begin to prophesy speaking in tongues uh, so that all can hear they get the tongues of fire resting on their head. It's the day the church is born. 3,000 are added to the church. Uh, incredible day for the church's history. Mark does not give us any reason for Jesus' baptism. He just skips it. Again, the brevity of his gospel account. Um, but he does note that it happened and that God speaks to Jesus that day, confirming he is, you know, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, up to this point, has done everything the Father's will demands of him, and he will continue to do so in the years to come. I've mentioned the action nature of this gospel and how quickly moving things are, and that word immediately is part of that. The word immediately shows up in Scripture 82 times. 35 of them, so nearly half, are in this book. When you think about the fullness of Scripture, over 1,100 chapters, and Mark is only 16 chapters, and, and half of that, the use of that one word shows up in this one, that's, that's something. All right, um, so... You can ask your children what 40s they're used to in the scriptures. So that Jesus is 40 days tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He doesn't give in to those temptations. What other 40s can you think of? I mean, there's a long list of them, but the primary one you want to be able to connect them to is the 40 years in the wilderness, 
that the Israelites wandered before they got to enter into the promised land, because that's the that's the intentional parallel of the scriptures here. Jesus is doing the things we were supposed to do that we failed to do. So Israel wandered in the wilderness and they failed to to resist the devil's temptations. They gave in to temptation. So their their trial in the wilderness was drawn out. Jesus keeps he keeps faithfulness as he wanders in the wilderness for those 40 days. And during that time, the angels are ministering to him. Well, that's their job, as to serve the Lord. And so they're doing exactly that. The next little section, verses 14 and 15, John gets arrested. There's a whole story to that. But it just gets three words. John was arrested. Eh, then Jesus came. And Jesus is proclaiming the gospel the good news. You can talk to your children there. You know, what is the gospel? What's that word mean? The gospel good news of God is the salvation that he has for you in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has come. He's starting to teach that and preach that to the people. A couple of key phrases in his first words of this gospel, the time is fulfilled. So God's timing of sending a savior, that promised day when their Messiah would come, that time has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, another way to read kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's not a literal place in this world. When we think of kingdom, you know, we think of, of a place, like a king's castle and the kingdom around it. But this is a reference to his reign, his, his ability to control, rule over, care for the entirety of creation. The reign of God, the kingdom of God, is the opposite of the reign of the devil. The devil had snatched this world away when Adam and Eve were sinning in the garden and now God has come to take that reign back. That's what the Messiah has come to do, not to fight against Rome, which is what so many falsely think. Uh, and we'll see that continuing on in the gospel. Not to fight against Rome or other worldly powers, but to steal back the kingdom from the devil himself, to bring about uh, the return of Christ's kingdom to his control, his reign. Repent means to turn away from your sin, um, all this is going on. It's a really packed first sermon. The calling of the first disciples is incredible in its context. I mean, Jesus just walks by, picks these disciples out, calls to them, says, follow me. And they do. They leave their businesses behind. They leave their father's business behind and they follow Jesus. Wow. I mean, that's the call that we have too. We are to leave behind the ways of this world and to follow Christ and to live for him instead of for ourselves. Um, but it's just incredible to think about. And again, immediately they left their nets and followed. Many of the disciples, many of the 12 were fishermen. Not all of them. Matthew, for example, is a tax collector, but many of them were. The next paragraph there, um, the healing of the man who is demon-possessed, an unclean spirit is a demon. Jesus does it simply by speaking, and even the demon must obey him because he is Lord of all. The demon cannot resist Christ. The demon's words, you know, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? That's a question you can ask your kids. Can they, can they answer that? Has Jesus come to destroy the demons? The answer to that is no, not, not particularly. He's come to destroy sin, but he hasn't come to destroy the 
demons. He's come to take the kingdom back from them and the harm that they're causing. And ultimately, their destruction is going to be brought about. Um, but they, they're never fully destroyed. Like the lake of fire, as the scriptures describe, is not a, a ceased punishment. Like they go there and that they're, they're destroyed and no longer exist. The lake of fire is, is an ongoing punishment, uh, which we call hell. So that's part of this text as well. The people are amazed because he teaches with authority. Uh, a way to read that might be instead of sounding like he's just reviewing another person's work, he's teaching them as if this all, if all the stuff was just his own, like he's coming up with it. It's his word instead of another's that he's just sharing. And that's true because he is God and, and you know, the scriptures are his. So it is his authority. It is his word. Verse 28 um, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the region. I mean, we can imagine that, right? Um, when you see what Jesus is doing, you can't help but tell other people. And so it, it spreads everywhere. And this, I mean, this says exactly that. It spread everywhere. So we often have people say, why didn't God send Jesus today? I mean, everybody would have been able to see his miracles thanks to technology and social media. I'll get this. His fame spread everywhere. It was already that way, even without social media, even without technology, it didn't matter. Um, the message of the Christ reached everyone when he was here. Everyone heard it. Everyone heard of him. Now, we learn in the next section that Peter is married. Simon is Peter, and he has a mother-in-law, so he's married. She's sick, and Jesus just takes her by the hand, and she's healed. Fever's gone, she serves. We see in the, the next little paragraph that Jesus heals many sick, many who are demon-possessed. He heals them. He doesn't permit the demons to speak. That's one you can ask your kids about. Why not? You can ask how they know him. They know him because he, he he's their creator. He made them, so they know who he is. But also, he doesn't permit them to speak because he doesn't want them telling people who he is. He is going to tell people who he is by what he does for them, by his death and his resurrection. In the next section, uh, Jesus preaching in Galilee, uh, you know, everyone's looking for him. They're, they're chasing after this miracle worker. And Jesus tells Peter, uh, you know, he's, he's going to go on to the other towns that he can preach there too. For that's why he came. He didn't come to do miracle healings. He does them because he loves his people and he cares for them. But he came to teach. He came to preach what he preached back in verse 15, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe. Jesus came that people might be saved, not from temporary earthly problems, but from sin, death, and the devil. And so he's come to preach. We get a little summary there in verse 39 of all that he's doing. Verse 40 introduces a leper to us in the text, a leper is someone with a skin disease of leprosy, which was contagious, very contagious. Lepers were considered unclean. They were removed from their communities entirely because to be around a leper, you would become likely a leper as well. And it was also potentially fatal. So it's a big deal. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 14 uh, if you'd like to. The leper says, if you will, that is not, you know, like if you'll do this, but if you desire, Lord, if it's your will, if it's your desire, Please heal me, is what he's asking. And, and God has pity on him, touches him. That's a big deal. You don't touch a leper. 
their uncleanness spreads to you. Their contagiousness comes to you, but not for God. Instead of the contagion of leprosy hitting him, Jesus is the one who's contagious. It's his healing. It's his perfection, his holiness, his cleanness. That is the thing that is spread instead of the other way around. And that's incredible to think about too. The leprosy leaves the man. Jesus tells him not to tell anyone. Why would he tell him that? Well, this gets back to the idea of why he came. And you see it with verse 45, right? So the man ends up going out and telling people anyway, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter town. So the task that he said he came to do in verse 38, to go everywhere, preach the gospel, that is hindered by the spreading of his miracles because then people are just coming to him for his miracles rather than to hear the gospel. They don't necessarily go hand in hand. Many will hear, will see his miracles, will even receive his miracles, and they won't believe uh, in the time to come. So we're going to continue tomorrow with more of Mark's gospel. Praise me.